One thing, if you were not here last week, uh, or if you have not checked your email this week, on the back of your worship guide, there is mention of a self-reflection exercise in regards to prayer. And I, I made this offer last week, but these self-reflection questions are on the, the table in the back of the worship area. And what I'm inviting you to do is pick one of those up and fill it out about where you are currently as you can determine it in your time of prayer, in your prayer life. What does that look like? And, and then keep that with you. I was asked a couple times this week what to do with them. After you fill that out, just keep it with you and, and kind of look at it as you go throughout this series. And the intention is when we get to the end of this series, in six or seven weeks, that we will do this exercise again and compare our answers to see maybe what the Lord has revealed to us, what he has shown us as we've went through this series on prayer. And, and I, I made the offer last week. The, the primary motivation for us to do that is to grow in our connection with God through prayer. But as a thank you to those who participate and do something a little fun, everyone who comes and tells me, yes, I did that. Uh, you don't have to turn them in to me, but you just, you know, honor system, tell me you, you did it. Uh, then you'll have a chance to win a nice gift basket of books on prayer and prayer journal and some things like that that you can either keep for yourself or that you can give away to someone else. So I had multiple conversations this week with someone, different people who brought up struggling with the purpose of prayer. That if God knows everything we need, and if God understands all that is happening in the world, and He is sovereign over those events, then why do we pray? And, and I think it is extremely important to our souls that we know the answer to that question. Because if we do not understand why we pray, then we won't pray. So last week in this series, we started with this big idea that of all of the important purposes of prayer that we see in Scripture, the primary and highest purpose is that prayer places us in the presence of God. That we pray to be with God. That Jesus said of His followers that they should go and pray to be with their Father. That is the primary reason that we pray. But you know, even if you were to embrace the necessity to pray, if you really believe that, hey, I, I'm a Christian, so I know I must pray, I should pray, it is possible to then act out prayer in drudgery. That you might pray, but you do so as a religious responsibility. And you find yourself in a place to where you are going through the motion of prayer, but it is void of joy. And if you were honest, there's no delight in prayer. And so again, last week we said that it is the glory of Jesus that when His followers seek Him and they turn away from sin that Jesus is constantly working to purify our hearts, to mold us into worshipers who delight in being with our Father. Honestly, that's not something that you can do. You can't create delight in yourself 
to be with God. You might could create in yourself a delight in having a prayer answered. I love to pray and then see God do what I asked. You might delight in that. But delighting in being with God is not something that you can create in yourself. It is something Jesus must do. And the good news is Jesus loves to do that. He lives to intercede for us. He lives to purify the hearts of his people. I realized last night in the providence of God that today we would have with us our former pastor and his wife and their family. And in the decade that I served with Chase, this idea of the necessity of prayer is one that he constantly pressed agape on. And I will be honest, there were many years where I didn't get it. Many years where I did not flow with that idea. But he was faithful to keep pounding on that drum, calling us over and over again to be a household of prayer. And in God's grace, all of us who right now call this place home, we are reaping some of the harvest of that faithfulness. And I'm very thankful for the opportunity that all of us have the chance to build on that foundation and grow into being a household of prayer. You know, sometimes prayerlessness is not always caused by a lack of desire. Sometimes we want to pray, but we find it incredibly difficult to even get started. It's as if sometimes our humanity is fighting against us when we try to pray. We can greatly resonate with the disciples in the garden the night Jesus was arrested when they were struggling to stay awake and pray. And Jesus would go to them and, and he would say, wake up and pray. And he would leave and then he would come back and they were asleep again. And, and Jesus' comment to them was, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Fight your flesh. Fight for faith and belief and press in to what your spirit is saying. So how do we do that? How do we take this willing desire of our spirit, if it is there, and cultivate better habits of prayer? Fighting our flesh that is weak. One of the great British preachers of the 20th century, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote in one of my favorite books on preaching, that believers must learn to always respond to every impulse to pray. Dr. Jones believed that impulses to pray were from God, and so he said that he made it an absolute law in his life that when he felt the slightest urging, the slightest impulse to pray, he did not resist it, he did not postpone it until later, but he stopped what he was doing and he yielded to it. How many times have you and I been in someone's presence and they shared something with us that was going on in their life and we said, I will pray for you about that. And how many of us go away from that moment and we never actually pray? We had good intentions. We weren't lying to them. 
We intended to pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Dr. Jones said, if you have an impulse to pray, do it then. If you're walking, you're reading, you're talking, you're going about your day, and something comes to your mind, someone comes to your mind to pray for, don't postpone it. Yield to it. And he went on to say that if you would do that, if I would do that, if believers would yield to those impulses, that we would encounter some of the most remarkable experiences we could imagine. I, I share this on our podcast, church podcast, that will come out tomorrow, but I'll share it more fully. But for several weeks, I've been praying about something in my own life. I've been praying about a trait, what we probably call during Proverbs, a wisdom skill that I feel I need to grow in as a pastor. And I, I've been praying about this, and I've been asking God if, if, if it's from Him, if this really is a need in my life that I need to pursue and, and no one knew about that. I haven't shared that with anyone. Just something I've been praying about. And this week, I got a text from a brother in Christ that I met years ago. I have not heard from this man in over four years. We, we'll see each other's post on Facebook sometimes or whatever. But I've not talked to him, texted with him. I've not communicated with him in any way in four years and I get a text from him this week, and it's a very simple text, but he says to me that I have been on his heart and he has been praying for me. And then in that text message, he proceeds to tell me the specific thing that he is praying for me about. And do you want to guess? It was the exact thing. To the detail. I'm not talking about just kind of in the ballpark. I mean, he laid it out and he even said it in a way that I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And what an affirmation that was for me that God listens to my prayers. But what an experience that I was able to tell him about. An experience that only happened because he was obedient to an impulse to pray and God is not a respecter of persons. In other words, that is not something God will do for one person and not another. If you and I give ourselves to prayer, and we give ourselves to obeying the impulses to pray, we will have those same experiences. If someone comes to your mind, and you pray for them, and then you tell them, hey, I was praying for you today, and here's what I was praying for, what's the worst that could happen? It's prayer. It's good. But I think it would go beyond just the normative. And I think you and I would see the supernatural experience was, experiences with God in that as well. Dr. Jones also went on to say that our prayer life should not just be those times of impulses to pray, although we should have those and obey them, but we should also plan times to pray. We should plan times every day to be alone with God. And he went on to say that it's very important that you know yourself. That when you go to plan how you're going to pray, you need to understand your own life and you need to understand what helps get you in the mindset to pray. Where the supernatural meets the natural, where the Spirit of God meets our humanity, you need to understand what it is. Just like a small engine often needs a choke to get it to start when it's cold, you must learn what dispels the coldness from your spirit. 
You must understand what will warm your spirit and kindle in you a flame, a fire for prayer. For years, I found that I was best propelled to pray by getting outside and walking and just going and being in God's creation and talking to Him. Now, other people that I've talked to, that doesn't work for them. They are led to pray in the quiet and solitude of a special time or special place in their home. Later in this series, Lord willing, Sam's going to preach for us about the connection between worship and prayer. And I think that Godward singing is a way in which we warm our spirits to pray. But what I want to focus on today is I want to focus us on the help that we have the warming of our spirit to pray that comes from the Scriptures, from God's Word. Our sermon text this morning, Hebrews chapter 4, is one of the many places that the Bible shows us this hand-in-hand partnership between the Word of God and prayer. It is con- they're connected throughout the Bible. God's Word and prayer. And... In Hebrews chapter 4, this idea where we're picking up in verse 12 actually starts back in in Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews 3, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who that was, but the writer of Hebrews is unfolding, he is teaching about how Moses in the Old Testament leading Israel out of slavery to Egypt was a foreshadowing of this greater event that would occur when Jesus would lead Christians out of slavery to sin. That the exodus in the Old Testament is the lesser exodus pointing to the greater exodus, which is Jesus leading us from sin. Israel was to be delivered out of slavery in Egypt And they were supposed to go and rest in God's land of promise. That's where they were going, to rest. And the place of their rest was the promised land. As Christians in the New Testament, what we are taught is we are delivered so that we will also rest, but not in a land, not in a place, but rather we are offered rest in the grace of God that leads to eternal life. And that eternal life begins now, and extends forever. We can experience some of it on the earth and then in full in eternity. But then the writer of Hebrews says, here's the problem. Many people will never experience that rest. Many people in the Old Testament never experienced the land of promise. And many people in the New Testament today will never experience the rest of eternal life. And why is that? And it's very interesting what happens. And you can make a note of this and and look at it later on your own if you like, or you can turn to it now. But Hebrews 3.19 and Hebrews 4.6 both exchange words in explaining why people did not experience God's rest. One verse says they didn't enter into God's rest because they did not believe the good news that was presented to them. They didn't believe Moses and they don't believe Jesus. 
Israel didn't believe the good news of deliverance from Moses, and people today don't believe the good news of deliverance by Jesus. And that's why they fail to enter into God's rest. But then the other verse says that people did not enter that rest because they disobeyed, because of disobedience to God. And so which is it? Is the Bible contradicting itself? And the case that I would make to you is this. It's talking about the same thing. Every act of disobedience is caused by lack of belief in God and His promises. Every time we disobey God, it is a sign that we don't believe God. When we fail to believe that truth will yield reward, we deceive. When we fail to believe that God will meet our needs, we cheat and we steal. When we fail to believe that true pleasure is found in the presence of God, we will give in to immorality. Disobedience is tied to not believing God. On and on and on that goes. So why do people not enter into the rest of God? Why did they not enter the promised land? Why do they not enter into the promise of eternity? Because of the disobedience of unbelief. And that is why Hebrews 3.12, you would do well to read these two chapters. They are hard, but they are good. Hebrews 3.12 then tells the church, pay attention. Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention because there could be in any of us an unbelieving heart that if it is not dealt with, it will eventually lead you to turn away from the living God. Right now, you might be holding on to a thread of belief. And Revelation says, wake up and strengthen what remains before it dies. Pay attention to your heart. Don't ignore struggles. We have done a disservice to people in modern day Christianity, especially in the South, when we make church the place that people can't be transparent about their faith struggles. Because they're supposed to come into a body of believers and just pretend everything's good. What would happen if I shared with people that I'm struggling to believe? And that is exactly what the enemy of God wants us to do. To not be real with one another. To not confess our struggles that we all have and our doubts. Hebrews says the opposite. It says pay attention to your unbelief and deal with it. Because if you don't, it is taking you somewhere. And where it is taking you is to turn away from the living God. So Hebrews urges us, exhort one another. Every day, exhort one another to fight for belief. To keep believing and keep having faith and fight for that. And exhort one another to turn away from sin so that we will enter into the blessings of God's rest. And all of that is what leads us to verse 12. 
in Hebrews 4. For the Word of God is living and active. Why? In the midst of urging us to believe and to fight for faith in our hearts, does the writer now start talking about the nature of God's Word? And my answer to that is in your worship guide if you're a note taker in this life truth for today. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to expose our unbelief, to increase our faith in Jesus, and to give confidence to our prayers. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to expose our unbelief, to increase our faith in Jesus, and to give confidence to our prayers. So I want to step through this for just a moment. If you do have a Bible, if you would look at Hebrews 3.7, I do want you to look at this verse. And let me say, so we always take this opportunity, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, if you do not have a good study Bible, we would love to gift you one today. We have copies for you. If you need one for your kids, we have some of those as well. If you are ministering to someone in your life and you're talking to them about God and you would like to gift them a Bible, let us know and we will help you with that. But in Hebrews 3.7, notice this phrase. As the Holy Spirit says. And then the writer goes on to quote Psalm 95. Written by David about a thousand years earlier than Hebrews. And the quote is, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And here's what is important for us to understand. That didn't say, hear what the Holy Spirit said a thousand years ago when he inspired David to write Psalm 95. The writer says, hear what the Holy Spirit says right now, today. Here is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Today, if you hear his voice, His voice, don't harden your heart. How is the Holy Spirit saying that right now in the present tense? He is saying it through a psalm that he inspired David to write centuries ago. So it is both. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible and he's still speaking through it right now, actively. That is what it means that the Word of God is living and active. This is not a dead book. It is, thank you, it is in that spiritual sense, it is alive. Unlike any book that you have ever given yourself to. It is not just print on paper. God has anointed His Word, and even today He is overseeing it. And so when you pick up the Bible, when you hear the Word in some way, the Holy Spirit is actively talking to you. And He is specifically talking to you. He's not just talking in this general, broad way. Christ knows your name. He knows your needs. He knows where you are. And the Holy Spirit actively speaks to you. All right, so keep going this life truth. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to expose our unbelief. He goes on to say the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, the Word of God can do something that even you and I can't do, know our own heart. One of the most difficult things for us to do is understand the motivation of why we're doing what we're doing. We have a very difficult time in understanding what is causing us to act the way that we are. We don't really know the intentions of our heart often, but the Word of God does. The Spirit of God does. And so this act of piercing and discerning happens when we hear God's Word. The word piercing doesn't sound pleasant. Sometimes it's not. But that unpleasantness is taking us to something great and something beneficial. And it is what verse 13 says is God exposing us before Him. The Word of God pierces us and discerns the thoughts and tensions of our heart and no creature is hidden from His sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Let me tell you the most futile, pointless exercise in the human life is to not be honest with God. To not just tell Him the way it is and what's going on in your heart because He already knows and He knows better than you do and better than I do of my own heart. And every creature is exposed to Him and one day we all must give an account. He wants to do a work now in us. And so the piercing and discerning exposes us. God exposes our unbelief. He exposes our unbelief so that we might not fall away. And if you have been a Christian for a while and you have given yourself to the study of God's Word and to seeking Him, then you probably know what this experience is like. You probably know those times that you have read the Word or you have heard the Word preached. You're in a small group study and you're listening to someone talk. And all of a sudden, you hear something and you go, Oh, that's what's going on. That's what's happening in me. I didn't realize that. I didn't see that. I didn't see that unbelief. And now I do. I need to trust God. I need to believe Him more. That's what it's like to have the thoughts of our hearts pierced and discerned and exposed. But what happens when God exposes that unbelief? What happens when He shows you that through His Word? He doesn't then leave you on your own to go try harder. The Spirit of God then takes the Word of God and creates in us faith in Jesus. And we start looking to Him. Romans 10.17 says, Faith doesn't come by you simply willing it in your life. There is not a person in this room who can drum up enough faith to be saved. Faith is an act of the will, don't get me wrong. Faith is an, an act of you trusting God. But where does faith come from? 
It's not something that you create. Romans 10.17 says faith comes from hearing that comes through the Word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the Word of Jesus, the Scriptures. So look at 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So here's what the Word does. The Word exposes your unbelief and then immediately points you to Jesus. And you are brought to this place where you can say, I see what's happening in me. I see this unbelief. But Jesus has been through what I'm going through. Jesus has faced down this same temptation, and He won. Jesus knows the strength of the pull of sin, but He overcame it. Jesus understands the sorrow and the suffering, and He sympathizes with me. Jesus knows I'm weak, and He doesn't shame me for my weakness. He has compassion on me, and He will help me. We are not called to see our unbelief and go before Jesus and promise to do better. Our unbelief is exposed that we would go to Jesus and say, will you help me? Especially in our temptations because He understands them. He felt them. The Son of God was tempted to sin. He felt the pull of immorality. But He never gave in. He overcame it. And that is why He is worthy for us to look to. And that is why He is able to sympathize with us because He understands. And He doesn't shame us, but He helps us. So when the Word of God exposes our unbelief and it sends us to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, where does that lead us? And my case to you this morning is it should lead us to prayer. And I think that's what verse 16 is all about. It's what Dr. Jones says is that that fire in us, Scripture warming our spirit. Look at verse 16. Let us now then, I added the word now, but I believe it's appropriate. Let us now then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Prayer and praise are how we approach the throne of grace. It's what we said last week. When we pray, we are entering into the presence of God. Every weakness in our heart is exposed by the Word of God, and we are met by mercy and grace, the kindness of God when we draw near Him. He doesn't expose us to hurt us. He exposes us that we might seek His help. And His plan is to help us. So this 
being exposed and looking to Jesus in faith leads us to pray. But we are to pray a very specific way. So look at what verse 16 says. Let us with confidence draw near the throne of grace. I said I was going to give you a one-word sermon title for each of these messages to try and help you remember what they're about. Last week it was present. When we pray, we are present with God. It is a present from God that we can be with Him through prayer. This week, confidence. You in Christ can draw near God in prayer with confidence. Will He receive you? Yes, be confident of it. Will He hear you? Yes, be confident of it. Does He shame you for your weaknesses or your doubts or your struggles or your sin? No, be confident of it. Pray with confidence. It's a word that means assurance, boldness, plainly, without pretense. This is not, let me say, this is not brash irreverence. There's a difference. I've been around people before that prayed in such a way that I thought, oh, that, that way of prayer, that way of calling out to God doesn't recognize who He is in His place of being high and lifted up. It's not brash irreverence, but it is confidence that you belong in His presence because of Christ. That He will accept you when you come to Him because Jesus has said you belong to Him. So I believe that is how all this goes together. The Spirit of God using the Word of God to expose our unbelief, which is leading us away from God to sin, to increase our faith in Christ, and to give confidence to our prayers. And I think there's a few other ways that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to give us this confidence. I want to mention them briefly. Three ways, not all-encompassing, this isn't the only way that the Word of God gives confidence to our prayers, but three ways. If you're a note-taker in the worship guide, number one, the Word guards our prayers. The Word of God guards our prayers. In Ephesians 5, Paul urged the church in Ephesus to not be foolish, but understand the will of God. And he was referring not to God's secret hidden will that we, we don't know about, but he's referring to the will of God that has been revealed to us in the Scriptures. So, church, understand what God purposes and what He wills and what He says is right or wrong. Don't be foolish, but understand those things. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says we are responsible for what God has shown us. We're responsible for what He has revealed to us. So, how does the Word guard our prayers? The Word guards us from praying in error. From asking God for things that are not in line with His will. It helps us to know what we should not pray for. The things that would be displeasing to Him. But not only does the Word guard our prayers, but secondly, the Word guides our prayers. It's the flip side of the coin. John wrote in 1 John 5.14, We are assured that if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. We have this promise, this confidence, this assurance. 
If we pray anything that is in accordance, in line with God's will, He hears us. That doesn't mean necessarily that He gives us that request in that moment. Because we have to remember that even as we pray for something that is His will, His hidden will may be it's not yet time for that. Or it's not, it's not going to happen in the way that we think it should happen. But the will of God and what is revealed to us, we, we should pray according to that and we should know He absolutely hears us. So the Word guards us against praying in error, but it also guides us to praying what is true, God's promises, God's principles of wisdom. One of the greatest tools that you could add to your prayer life is to take passages of Scripture that you are reading and turn them into prayers. Pray them back to God. Let that verse, that word, that Scripture inform how you pray. Let it transform your prayer life. And that brings us to the third way that the Word of God gives us confidence when we pray. The Word empowers our prayers. The Word empowers our prayers. One of the most outlandish verses in all of the Bible that we are called to believe is John fifteen seven. Jesus said, If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ask, pray for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. What an amazing passage that if we're honest, we read that and we go, is that really true? Is, is that really a promise? And it is. Jesus said the key in your life to seeing answered prayer is abide in Him and let His words abide in you. And I think, by the way, that goes deeper than just praying a passage back to God. I think that's important. I think you should add that to your life of prayers to take a passage and pray it to Him. But I think what Jesus is talking about is something deeper than that. I think what Jesus is talking about is that the more you meditate on God's Word, the more often God's Word is heard in your life, that Word goes down in you, in your spirit. I know that sounds mysterious, but it happens. We kind of understand that. Because you know what gets down in us? Lyrics and songs. How many of you can hear a tune that you haven't heard in seven or eight years and immediately began to sing every word of that song? Because music and lyrics get down in us. The Word of God, when we meditate on it, and we read it and we study it, it gets in us and it does something. It transforms how we think and it transforms how we pray. If you mature in Christ, your prayers will change. There will be things that you will start saying, I I'm not going to pray for that. Not because I don't believe God, but because I don't believe that is the best thing for me to pray for in this situation. I think what Jesus is talking about is without even realizing it, His Word begins to inform how you pray. And when that happens, 
when you abide in Him and His Word is abiding in you, you'll be able to ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you because it is the Word of God that is praying out of you. A.W. Tozer, I quoted him last week. I'll do it again this week. Tozer said, What we think about when we are free to think about whatever we want. Let me say that again. What we think about when we're free to think about whatever we want, that is what we are. Or it is what we will soon become. When you have nothing that someone is telling you you have to think about, when you have time where you can just be you and sit back and just think, Tozer said, whatever it is you start meditating on, that's who you are. Or that's who you will soon become. I think that's what Jesus is pointing us to. Think about the Word. Meditate on the Word. Do it freely. Take the Word in, in every way you can. There's a lot of challenges with living in the time we live in. But we will not have an excuse before God for not having access like no one has ever had before to His Word to be heard and preached, to be read to us over apps. The Word is alive. And the more of the Word you have, the more powerful your prayers will be. The more of the Word that is in you, the more of the presence of Jesus that is in you, and the more you will see prayer being answered. So agape... Connect the Word of God to your prayers. Listen to sermons. Go to Bible studies. Read the Word. Get a Christ-centered devotion book. And let that warm your spirit and stir you to pray. When you see your unbelief, repent. Don't wait. Deal with your unbelief. Confess it. Work through it. Don't let it take you where it wants to take you, away from the living God. Look to Christ to help you. He will. He doesn't shame you for your weaknesses. He sympathizes with you. Make every effort to think deeply on God's Word, to study it and let it be in you. And then take what God is putting in you and pray it out. I ask you to make that practice even this week. That's why we're doing this series. Put these things into practice and over time you will see an increase in the power of your prayers and of delighting in praying. I want to ask the worship team if they'll come back up. We're going to practice praying together this morning. So please don't check out. I want us to draw near to God together as a church and I want us to pray for one another. I want to do a few things this morning a little bit different. If you are one of our prayer partners today, will you come, come on up to my left? So if you're, if you're praying for people today, uh, would you come up to my left? And I want to do a couple things. Uh, who helped me a couple of weeks ago Pray for Eric Acock. I know Ray did. Who else? Could you raise your hand? Tim? Okay. Uh, Scott, I need you to do something else. So you just hold tight. Ray and Tim. 
In just a moment, would you guys, Eric, we were praying for Eric, we were praying for his situation, his job. Monday, he's starting his brand new job Woo! that God gave him. And Ray and Tim, what I would like for you guys to do, and anyone who feels led to join them, you can. I want, to, I want to ask you to do two things. One, I want you to pray prayers of thanksgiving that God heard our prayer. And secondly, I want you to pray that Christ will help Eric be the aroma of Jesus in his new workplace where he is being sent. And anyone who feels led to join them, please do so. I want to get Scott and Lisa um, Cosper. I gave them a heads up on this last night. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but Scott... Uh, used to pastor a church. Him and Lisa have had experience with that. I've asked them this morning if they would come and pray with the Thompsons and their family during our prayer time. And what I'd like for you guys to do is ask Chase and Janet um, what are two or three of the biggest needs that their church in California is facing that, that they would like to pray for. And anyone who would like to come in just a moment and pray with them and pray for the Thompsons and pray for, for Valley Baptist Church in, in uh, Salinas, then you can join in doing that. Rob, got to get your help. Uh, Rob and um, uh, Barbara, would you help Rob? Um, Shannon Horsley over here on my right. Um, Shannon is having surgery on Tuesday, correct? And she's having surgery on her foot, and, and we want to pray um, for healing uh, we did this last week, so certainly if God would choose to heal her um, even before the surgery, we would love that um, and believe that He can. But we also want to pray that whatever God is doing in her life and through this situation, we believe that He can work it for her good and the good of their family. So would you guys in just a moment pray for them, um, pray for, their, um, for that surgery and just for their family in general as they have moved recently back to this area and are getting connected if you need prayer for anything that has not been mentioned, you can join with any of these groups that are praying. But if you would like prayer for anything, that is what our prayer partners are here for. So whatever may be going on in your life that you would like for them to pray about, they are here. And one last thing, if this morning God has spoken to you about your relationship with Jesus, and you know that for whatever reason you are struggling in some way, I want to pray with you. Please don't leave here without giving me or, or Nick or one of our leaders a chance to just know so we can pray for you. But I'm going to go stand in the back. And if you'd like to quietly get out of your seat and come join me, I will pray for you and whatever is going on. Join one of these groups of prayer. Come and be prayed for or stand and worship God who is in our midst. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we are looking at and thinking about prayer and the necessity of the word in prayer. Father, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus. Jesus, we pray now you would move mightily in our midst. It's not in just a way that is only external that we can see, if you would move right now visibly in ways that we can see, thank you. But we also know you work miracles in the heart in places that are invisible. 
And we ask that you would do that now. I pray you would bring people to salvation. You would pierce their heart if they are not saved. And they would look to you. If they are far from you, I pray they would return. If they are struggling and drowning in unbelief, help them confess that. Today, if we hear the voice of the living God through His Spirit, let us not harden our hearts, but let us respond. Lead us to worship, because you, God, are worthy of that worship. In your name we pray. Amen.